Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. My name is Jacob Taylor. I'm one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. The last time we saw Jesus in our previous episode, he was transfigured on the mount. And we know that Peter, James, and John had departed from the rest of the apostles. And when they went up on the mountain, when the transfiguration took place... So we are going to be reading about a demonic boy, a boy possessed by a demon. And it's found in Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, and Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 43. For our benefit today, we're going to look primarily at Mark's account in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Jacob, you want to read that? And when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. They asked them, What are you disputing with them? And one person from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying, after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began asking him privately, Why is it that we could not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind came out, this kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. You know, one thing I think that's kind of interesting about this account with Jesus, Peter, James, and John having gone up on the mountain for the transfiguration, the rest of the apostles and the disciples were left alone. And I think this is evidence of the fact that the scribes took advantage of Jesus' absence to kind of pounce, we could say, on the rest of the apostles that were there. There was a man who had appealed to them for help in casting a demon out of his son, and they failed in their efforts to do so. Well, this gave the scribes the opportunity to declare their failure before the public and thus discredit them. 
and Jesus by implication. But anyhow, the multitude that had gathered was amazed and joyful at the return of Jesus at just the moment when the defeat and the humiliation of the other apostles at the hands of the scribes seemed complete. But Jesus calmly walked up to the harassed apostles and the scribes and demanded to know what they had been questioning them about. Well, while there is no comment from the scribes recorded, the father of the boy stepped forward and described the pitiful condition of his son. The King James says that the boy was a lunatic, a most unfortunate translation personally. Most say that he was an epileptic, while Mark says that he had a dumb spirit. The Gospels do not affirm that all diseases are caused by demons. This is one case, however, where it was. The boy would have fits, throw himself into the fire or water. He would foam at the mouth. He'd grind his teeth. He would wail and he would scream. This pitiful condition had been upon him since he was a child. Yeah, I think that the father is to be commended for not giving up hope for his son in that uh, he says to Jesus, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and your disciples tried, but they could not. Uh, some, some may give up because those disciples are a reflection or representatives of Jesus. And uh, sometimes when people fail, uh, when God's people fail us, uh, we have a tendency to want to give up on, on God as, as though God... Uh, should be held uh, responsible for other people's failures. But this man, uh, even though the disciples failed, he still came to Jesus and, and wanted to hope and believe that Jesus could help him. I think it's important to note that when it says the disciples could not, that in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, uh, Jesus had called his 12 disciples together, and it says that he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now that clearly says they had the authority to cast this demon out. So that I think is going to explain the frustration that we're going to see in verse 19. Yeah, to, to that point with verse 19, the, the frustration, I, I'm sure it was absolutely, uh, it was just difficult. And Jesus faced this in numerous instances of people just struggling to believe even people as close to him as the disciples struggling to believe in him and what he could do and the power that was given to them um and i think jesus just just continue as as we get to the end of the story here again continues to show the the patience with them like in verse 29 um but just the way jesus handles all of this is is, is amazing I think Jesus' response is uh, pretty interesting. Mark tells us that he answered them. The Lord's response then seems to have involved all who were present. And he said, O faithless generation, how long shall I bear with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. This was the baffled apostles to the relentless and vicious scribes 
to the father of the boy and to the multitude. We can feel the frustration of Jesus in his words. When would they learn? When would they understand? Jesus then requested that the boy be brought to him, and when he was brought into the sight of the Lord, the demon further demonstrated its maliciousness by tormenting the child further in a violent fashion. Mark says the spirit tore him grievously, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Jesus asked the father a few more questions, and then the father expressed a despairing doubt when he said, If thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I'm struck by Jesus' response, and it's emphasized by Mark. If you can believe. Well, of course Jesus could help. The only possible lack was not in Jesus, but in the man's faith. Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. In verse 24 of Mark's account, we find straight away the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I think many who come to Jesus uh, may come initially in the beginning with the same, with the same uh, attitude, with the same hope of unbelief, uh, and yet it's, it's barely even a mustard seed at this point maybe even describing it as a if-you-can-believe sort of attitude. But, you know, we know where faith comes from. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing God's Word. And so God is able uh, to help us with unbelief. And we should not allow uh, the struggles that we're going through with our faith to keep us from, from drawing near because God has the answer of unbelief. Just as he helped this man uh, and he was asked to help his unbelief, he can do so with us, but we're going to have to pour into his word because reading about Jesus and seeing the things that he did is the only way that we can grow our faith. Absolutely agree with that, that we need to come to Jesus in all things, especially with at, and pertaining to this with our unbelief, that we certainly can believe that Jesus can do all things, but sometimes with the the trials or if our prayers haven't been answered in the timetable, we would like them to be answered. We can begin to um, uh, be on the doubt in, in that. And it's just a reminder to go back to Jesus and know that he what he says is going to happen. His promises do not fail or expire. And he is going to, to be there. And I absolutely agree with what Ross said to um, this is a, a statement we can say in our prayers to God um, to help us with our unbelief. At his appeal, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, and after once more tearing the boy, the demon departed, leaving the boy as though he were dead. His appearance was, in fact, so lifeless that most of the crowd thought that he was dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand and raised him up, and all the people were astonished at the majesty of God. Why were they astonished? By putting it all together, we can see that this was quite an event. There had been the failure of the disciples, the attack of the scribes, the pleading of the father, the pitiful plight of the boy, and then the wonderful majesty of Jesus in casting this vicious demon out. Later in private, his disciples asked him why they couldn't cast out the demon. 
And Jesus' answer was that the lack of faith on the part of the disciples was the direct cause of their failure. Had they possessed more faith, they would have been able to accomplish it. But they didn't have it yet. Jesus also mentioned this kind comes out by nothing save by prayer. This probably refers to the particularly vicious character of this demon, a viciousness emphasized throughout the entire account. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by this because we often think of, of uh, in our own experience, prayer as being less powerful than a miracle, right? We, we, we often wish, oh, oh, if only miracles existed today and we could perform miracles. Now, that's where the power is. But Jesus kind of turns that on its head here. They've been given authority to work miracles. But, it, oh, yeah, you want to you want to be successful with this? You need to pray. Almost like this is, this is re- really where the true test of faith is. You know, I never thought of it that way, but that is an interesting, interesting point. Jake, do you have anything to add to this? Uh, no. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. It's just the, as far as I can tell, the third prediction of Jesus' death that he gives. It's also found in Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9, where we will look, verses 30 through 32, and Luke chapter 9, verses 43 through 45. So looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 32, we find, Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will raise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and were afraid to ask him. You know, after these events, the apostles made their journey from the mountain upon which the transfiguration had taken place through Galilee. It must have been somewhat of of a leisurely journey, for Matthew says, while they abode in Galilee, and Mark writes that they were passing through Galilee. With all that had taken place, it was not possible for Jesus and his apostles to have the privacy necessary for their further instruction where they had been. So they took the journey and sought to keep their movements as quiet as possible. There is a statement made by Luke that is very interesting. Luke wrote, But while all were marveling at all the things which he did, he said unto his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. It's as though Jesus was saying, Listen to what they're saying now. Listen to the praise that they're giving now, because it's soon going to change. I'm intrigued by the fact that the disciples, I mean, we're well into the ministry of Jesus, and you would consider... You would consider this issue of the betrayal and death of Jesus as to be a pretty central point uh, about what he's going to accomplish. And he's only kind of just now beginning to explain it. I mean, back at the Transfiguration in Mark uh, 9, verse 9, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They had no idea what that meant. And now Jesus is saying, uh, it's about to happen. I'm, I'm about to be betrayed. And they have no idea 
people what this means. They were, they were afraid to ask him even. And this may go back to what they experienced in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 21, where when they were confused about Jesus' teaching concerning the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, there was a mild rebuke there uh, when he asked, how is it that you do not understand? Uh, and so they're probably still feeling the sting of that uh, faithlessness. And uh, this is something that uh, they were afraid to ask about, but uh, something they're going to need to wrap their minds around because this is central, of course, to his mission. You know, the, the truth was not concealed uh, from the apostles by God in some miraculous way. The truth was concealed from them because of their clouded understanding, as I think you made clear, Ross, and their misconception of the Messiah. I don't think that they could understand how the Messiah, at least in their view of what the Messiah was going to be, I don't think they could understand how he could allow his death at the hands of his enemies. Even though they did not understand Jesus' repeated predictions of his death obviously filled them with grief and with sorrow. I think it's a great example of Jesus as the master teacher because he recognized that uh, at certain points in time, uh, certain ones will not be able to handle the truth. Like that old famous line, you can't handle the truth. And he says in other places, I have many things to tell you, but you're not able to handle it. So knowing your student, knowing who you're teaching, where they're at, is really important part uh, about teaching. And by introducing too much, too fast, uh, concepts that people are not prepared for, uh, and then uh, you know, unsettling them and causing causing even a stumbling by those things, is not. We can't excuse that by saying, "Well, it was the truth. It was the truth." What I said. We need to be mindful about where people are at and, and help them to build a proper foundation before uh, jumping in too, too far ahead of where they're at. Yes. Yeah, I think even for, for here with, with Jesus talking in the, you know, in the, in the third person, the, the Son of Man, I think it's, it's power, you know, that he's talking about himself. And I think it's, it's powerful to note that, I mean, this isn't just something he's talking about someone else is going to go through this. And this is he is going to be handed over to the hands of men will be killed and on the third day will rise. And it's, not, I mean, there's certainly, I think, under, Jesus knew what was going to occur, knew the um, amount of, of pain and difficulty that was going to come out of it. And I think there's power in the fact of him saying that, not just for their benefit, but also for for him um, in, in the preparation for what is coming. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and look at the, the next thing as it appears in Matthew's account, and it only appears in Matthew's account, and that is the discussion of the temple tax and whether or not Jesus was required to pay it. It's found in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Matthew chapter 17 Verses 24 through 27. Are you there, Ross? I am. Okay. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, 
What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. It kind of leads to a question. Was it a temple tax due to the temple, or was it a tax due to the Romans? Uh, Let's look at Exodus chapter 30, verses 12 through 16, and I'll be reading from the King James Version. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall thou give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. This they shall give every one that passes among them that are numbered, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is twenty jeros, and half shekel be the offering of the Lord. Every one that passes among that that are numbered, from twenty years old and above, shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When they give an offering unto the Lord, to make an atonement for your souls. And thou shalt make the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shalt appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord, to make an atonement for your souls. So there's where the idea of the temple tax comes from. And there was a dispute that existed between the Pharisees and the Sadducees concerning whether or not the payment of this tribute was compulsory or was it voluntary. Maybe the collectors thought that Jesus considered this voluntary, at which point he would have angered them because they thought it compulsory. Perhaps they thought that Jesus might have considered himself above it. But whatever might have been their motive, Peter's answer to the question was yes. When in private, Jesus addressed this issue with Peter before Peter could address it with him. Jesus' argument was simply this. If the sons of kings are free from the payment of tribute, then would not he, as the son of God, be free from paying God's tribute? But, so that they would not be totally misunderstood and people think that Jesus was teaching that it was not necessary to pay this tribute, Peter was instructed to go to the sea in an amazing event. This would be the Sea of Galilee. And there he was to cast a hook into the sea and open the mouth of the first fish he caught. There he would find a shekel. This he would give to the tax collectors as payment for both Jesus and himself. Yeah, and uh, when it says, uh, verse 27, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, I am amazed at that because I've seen Jesus so many times say things that offend people, right? So I, it's, I think there's something here that is important for us. Uh, like Greg said, this is going to cause them or give them ammunition, as we say. This is going to give them a charge 
that Jesus, I think, wisely observed was not something he wanted them to be able to say about him. It's almost like uh, giving them an argument. Like when, for example, when the Apostle Paul deals with the Corinthians, he he makes a statement saying, um, lest, lest these guys say this, uh, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to do this thing to take away any opportunity from people to make a charge. So sometimes you, you just got to think about how are God's enemies going to spin this or make, a, make a, an accusation out of it. And really it's about what he says in 2 Corinthians 6.3. We don't want to do anything that would cause our ministry to be blamed or come under... Uh, unnecessary scrutiny and so you know when it comes to uh, defending the truth Jesus always did that come what uh, come what may but he didn't needlessly create uh, causes for stumbling or offense and as we continue our journey through the life of our Lord Jesus we're going to bring this episode to a close We want to thank each and every one who has been listening, and we have received a lot of comments, and we appreciate that so very much, and tell your friends about the podcast. Until the next episode, then, thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.